I'd like to talk about the, uh, the laws of man here in this city where those laws are written. And I'd like to talk about higher laws. It would be great to assume that one serves the other, that the laws of man serve these higher laws, but of course they don't always. And I presume that, in a way, is why you're all here. It's not a coincidence that in the scriptures, poverty is mentioned more than 2,100 times. It's not an accident. It's a lot of airtime. As you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. As I say, good news to the poor. God may well be with us in our mansions on the hill. I hope so. He may well be with us in all manner of controversial stuff. Maybe, maybe not. But the one thing we can all agree, all faiths, all ideologies, is that God is with the vulnerable and the poor. God is in the slums, in the cardboard boxes where the poor play house. God is in the silence of a mother who has infected her child with a virus that will end both their lives. God is in the cries heard under the rubble of war. God is in the debris of wasted opportunity and lives. And God is with us if we are with them. A number of years ago, I met a wise man who changed my life um, in countless ways, big and small. I was always seeking the Lord's blessing. I'd be saying, look, I've got a new song. <laughs> Would you look after? I have a family. I'm going away on tour. Please look after them. And this wise man asked me to stop. He said, stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Get involved in what God is doing because it's already blessed.
church, you know, we can't measure how many young girls didn't get pregnant because the work of the church let them show up, or, or kids didn't take drugs because the work prevention giving. This is intervention giving. Uh, and this giving is emotional. This is when someone appeals to us. Like, you can't help but watch some of those images of kids in, in Africa and in poverty and have that do something to your heart. It's like, man, there's something about that. And so this kind of giving starts with the recognition of some sort of need, something that it stirs your heart, the, the starving children in Africa, pictures of sex trafficking, which happens incidentally in our community. Um, the images of, of natural disasters like earthquakes and floods and hurricanes and tornadoes and and, you know, fire and war and refugees and homelessness and poverty and kids that need an education but can't get it or, or places where girls don't get education at all or places where there's no medical care. There's all of those sorts of things. And here's how you know God is working in that in your life. When you come to the point where you see something like that and you think this, somebody needs to do something about that. How many of you had that experience? You watch something and you go, Somebody needs to do something uh, about that. that. That shouldn't be happening. You know, and, and if you're like me, because I kind of have this ongoing prayer life with God all the time, I eventually turn around to God and say, God, somebody should do something about that. Or if I'm in a really bad mood, I say something like, why aren't you doing something about that? Somebody should do something about that. And here's what God usually says to me. The Holy Spirit says, you are somebody. Oh, nobody laughed at that, huh? You understand what I'm saying here? You know, so often we say, God, why aren't you doing somebody doing something about that? Why don't you send somebody to do something about that? And God says, I did. It's you. When the Holy Spirit speaks to you in those moments, he gets us involved. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves taking out a credit card or getting some money out of our wallet and sending it someplace or putting it in an offer plate because something that's happened in that. Because the Holy Spirit says, somebody needs to do something about that, and you are somebody. The Holy Spirit, we're always waiting for somebody else to do something. It's, it's, it's like us. And so here's kind of how we define this. Intervention giving is a spiritual response to a Christ-like desire to reduce or eliminate suffering in the world. Okay? Intervention giving, that means after something has gone wrong, we talked about that, intervention giving is after something's gone wrong, is a spiritual response, so there's a spiritual thing going on in our lives, to a Christ-like desire. So the desire to change the world, the desire to leverage our resources to make a difference in the world, is because of the image of God in us. And this is whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. Even people who are not followers of Jesus Christ, or maybe follow other religions, the spark of God rels, uh, works up in them, and they realize when things go like, I need to do something, I want to help in some sort of way, okay? And then the ultimate goal is to reduce or eliminate suffering. In, in fact, this is so strong in some of you, and you really see this in churches because it, it tends to be powerful amongst us, that, that many of you have gone into professional fields to do this. Many of you are in medicine. We have so many people in medicine in our church. And that's a way of professionally reducing suffering or eliminating suffering. That's the God impulse uh, in them. Uh, and there, there are all kinds of other ways that, that, that this flows out of us. Providing education to children or to adults. Uh, the police do this. It's a helping profession. Fire, social work. So many of you do this professionally. You intervene out of a Christ-like response in order to reduce or eliminate suffering in, in some sort of way. 
And this is a big deal. This is a big, big deal to Jesus. Because everywhere Jesus went, he made people's lives better. And I've said this over and over and over and over again. But everywhere Jesus went, he made people's lives better. He would heal the, the sick. He would make the lame to, to walk and the blind to see. He would, he would cure lepers who were social outcasts, okay? Even the, the social, psycho, emotional parts of our lives, all of that sort of thing. Everywhere Jesus went, he made lives better. He alleviated and, and, and reduced suffering, and he expects us to be a part of that. So this morning, what we, the passage you want to look at is Matthew chapter 25, if you have your Bibles with you. Uh, and let me just give you some context before we jump into this. Jesus has been speaking in, in chapter 24, and this is all one section, uh, ab- about the end times, right? That, that when, when are you going to come back? In, in the ancient world, in Jesus' time, Jews tended to believe in three messiahs. There was a political messiah, a military messiah, and a spiritual messiah. And so even his followers, although they would recognize that Jesus was maybe that spiritual messiah, although some of them struggled with that, uh, they, they were still looking for that political and that military style. When are you going to come and wipe everybody out that's against us and put us in charge, you know? And, and so they, they, he's talking about that, and he said, well, here's the signs of, of when I'm going to come back, and they didn't really process that well. But no one knows the, the exact time. And in fact, not even Jesus did. Only the Father knows that. And, and so he said, but the more important point isn't when I'm going to come back. The more important point is what should we do until he comes back. Amen? And by the way, if you knew when he was going to come back and you would change your life, then just change your life now and be prepared for when he comes back. Okay? So here's some things he didn't say about when he comes back. He didn't say hunker down. He didn't say, go find a hiding place and, and just, you know, the world is just, that's it. I don't want to be a part of that and withdraw from the world. He didn't say, wring your hands and worry and, and get afraid of everything that's going on. By the way, that's kind of a contradiction in terms for believers in Christ. Because the good news is, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen? And by the way, just after this election, whether you like who got elected or you don't like who got elected, I just want to tell you, our hope is in God, not our president, or our Senate, or Congress, or, or, and I'll say that whichever side gets elected. I just, this is important to our Christian faith. We trust God. In all things, we trust God. So he didn't say to, he didn't say to be afraid. So what he does do is he tells stories. Jesus was always telling stories, and he, he, there's three parables that follow. He tells, the first one is about the ten virgins. You remember that Ten virgins were waiting for the wedding to begin, and five of them ran out of oil because it took too long. They had to go get oil. And so it's, it's, a, it's a, um, a parable about being prepared, being prepared for the coming of all of them. The second one was the, the ten talents, where remember, get ten talents and how many, be prepared to, to use your talents. But every one of you, God has created every one of you individually. You are a custom designed by God, and he's given you some gifts to use for the kingdom. And they aren't the same as the person next to you, right? And some people are good at other things. So, you know, I've told you before, I really, in my heart of heart, when I was a teenager, I wanted to be a worship leader. I wanted Kramer's job. And then I tried to sing. And someone said, you know, you're pretty good at talking, but uh, let's not have you sing too much, <laughs> you know? So I have a different gift than, than, than other, and you have different gifts. There's all kinds of things like that. Everyone has a different gift. And then the third one, the one we're going to talk about, is the story of the sheep and the goats. And this one is about what must we do. What's the floor that we have to do while we are here? Uh, and so I want to read it to you. 
Uh, and I want you to turn on your imaginations, turn on your holy imagination. Most of Scripture was written in order to be read to people. They didn't actually have a text to read in front of them. Uh, it was meant that they would, they would listen to it. And I'm going to highlight one verse, but I, I kind of want to walk through it. So um, Matthew chapter 25, beginning uh, at verse 31. This is the third parable is told. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, woohoo! when Christ come back, comes back, Really? Nobody's excited about that? One day Jesus is going to come back and all the suffering and the pain and all of that's going to be, going to be a little kind of an early morning. That kind of, oh, cold this morning? No, so, okay. When he comes back in his glory and all the angels with him, that's going to be quite the show. He will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before him. I love that picture. Every language, every culture, every color, every difference, all of that will be gathered in front of front of him because we are all created in the image of God. Amen? Okay? So they all be gathered for him and he will separate the people uh, from, from one another as shepherds separate the sheep and the goats, which is something they would do in, in the ancient world. The sheep would go one way, the goats would go the other way. Now, for some of you, here's the bad news. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So if you get an idea, if this is the middle here, really sorry, folks. Okay? You're the goats over there. And good news for you, you're the sheep. And so if you switch sides from where you normally sat on, either it's really good news or bad news, okay? So he says to them, um, then the king will say to those on his right over here, come you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. That sounds like a pretty good deal. And then he gives why. For I was hungry and you gave me something to drink or to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then these people are going, I don't remember seeing the king anywhere. Then the righteous will answer to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And here's the verse that's so powerful in all of this. And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Okay? And then the ones on the left, basically he says, you didn't do that for me, you know, and you're going to go out into to utter darkness. And, and they, of course, complain. They make it say, when did we see you doing this, you know? And, and they're, they're, they're kind of hoping that they can get by on a technicality and say, well, if we'd known it was you, we would have done something about that. But the, the part of the story is that actually condemns them because Christ is saying, of course, if you knew it was the king, you would take care of me, but you wouldn't really take care of the least, the last, and the lost. And those people matter to Jesus a lot. Amen? They matter so much to him. So here's what you need to know and to what this teaches us about the body of Christ and the kingdom of God, and that is this. Reducing suffering is an essential part of our mission. It's essential. It's not an extra, it's not a nice sort of thing. When I say essential, I mean it is necessary. In the same sense that oxygen is necessary for your life, reducing suffering is essential to the life of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say it's like oxygen. The more you do it, uh, the, the, the better it is. Reducing suffering is necessary if the, church is going, if the church isn't going to do this, then honestly, we're not the body of Christ because this is necessary. It's, it's essential. And so Jesus kind of tells that with this story because the idea in the second part is, you know, if you don't do this, then heaven may not really be on the table in all of this, which is kind of scary. 
And then he takes it and he, does, he pushes it to the next level. Have you noticed Jesus never quite knows when to quit? He always pushes it a little further than is comfortable. He actually goes on. What, do you do, what you do for the least, last, and lost, you do for Jesus. He makes it personal. He makes it not just an idea or not just a program, but there's kind of this unspoken idea in here that, that, that if you want to find Jesus, you go to the least, the last, and the lost, and he's kind of, he's kind of hiding there. He's kind of, you know, in disguise. And, and when you think you're helping somebody that's a no-good bum just because Jesus told you to, you find out that you're actually ministering to Jesus Christ himself. I, I read the other day a, a thing from a, a church, a fairly prominent kind of church, and the, the pastor was going to talk about this. And the Sunday before, he uh, got dressed up like a homeless person and put dirt on him, and he hadn't taken a bath for a couple of days, so he didn't smell real good, and his hair was all disheveled, and, and, and you know, he kind of had glasses on, and he did, did the whole kind of thing. And that Sunday before, he came to his church, and people began to kind of do you know, this sort of thing and stepping aside and, and, and backing up. And at the end of the day, in fact, he, he got a little bit loud, and so they actually made him leave the church. And then the next Sunday, he told them about that. You see, this is essential to who we are, that we love those people. And Bono said it really good. By the way, you guys know who Bono is? He's a famous rock star. Kramer knows who Bono is. Uh, he's a vibrant Christian, uh, but, but he doesn't run a Christian band. He just has a regular band. He, s- he said this in the video, and I just love this. God is with us if we are with them. Isn't that good? God is with us if we are with them. I was hungry, and you fed me. God is with the vulnerable and, and the poor, the, the least, the marginalized, those on the ends of society, those that everyone wants to leave out, those who, who people don't care about. God is with them. And Jesus is speaking to his Christ followers here. This isn't Jesus talking to the Pharisees and saying, you better shape up, you know. He's talking to the us, to people like you and me, the people that are the insiders, the people who are already giving regularly and doing what they're supposed to do. And the hard part is this. They were judged not by what they did for the people on the inside. They were judged by how they treated the vulnerable. Jesus is a radical in some ways. He turned things upside down. In fact, I, I think about it like this. One of the things I do, I, in our, our tradition, we just really believe that love is the foundation of everything, that God is love. Not an attribute of God, but God is love. And so I say to you guys, God loves you lavishly, right? Overflowing, more than you can possibly understand. Loves you more than you love yourself. God loves you more than you love your children. Get a hold of that for a little bit. But when it comes to the poor... I think God loves the vulnerable fiercely. Fiercely. Some of you mamas, you know what fiercely loving is. In fact, we even have an expression in English when we say, she's become a mama bear. You all understand what that means? That means you have messed with her children in some way and you are now going to get hurt. Okay? Because there's something that, that just comes up in a parent when you, when you harm their children. And, and you just it's just like, and that's kind of the image that's drawn in this text is that God, when, when, when we neglect or we abuse or, or we just w- refuse to help God's children that are in the least, the last, and the lost, that stirs something in God. Something comes up. And, and so this is an important part of it. Again, planned giving makes us faithful. And I hope you are all involved in planned giving, that you tithe and you do those sorts of things. But intervention giving, this kind of giving, this makes us generous. It's, it's over and, and above. 
And the truth is this, God loves and rewards generosity in his people. Over and above all of that. In fact, I think the reason God loves generosity in his people is because God is generous. And, and when we behave in generous sorts of ways, it's us imitating our Father. It's becoming like Him, you know? Most of you probably have kids if you have kids. You know that there's a, a process where your kids grow up, right, and they begin to act like adults. I mean, they're children when they're, they're little, and it's, it's fine with their children. But they get in the teen years, and you start to wonder whether they're ever going to grow up. And then every once in a while, there's a little flash, and they do something like responsible, and you go, where did that come from? Oh, it's gone. You know, it's over with. And, and then maybe later on, there's another flash. And over time, you get more flashes of grown up and less of children and, until they get, you know, grown up enough and all of a sudden it's like wow they're just they, they're responsible they act like adults they do the things they're supposed to do it, it, except for boys we still have flashes where we go back to being a boy at least that's what my wife says but you know there, there's something about that and uh, that's becoming like our parents I, I think i saw this first in a really powerful way for me when my son kevin who is now a grown man um was about 11 or 12 uh we were hanging out together and and i have a habit in my life that just it comes from my dad my dad had this thing where he always would get, get to the door first to open the door for people. It was just a way of, you know, uh, honoring people and, and being respectful to them. And it was just, just kind of his thing. It was actually kind of a spiritual discipline in, in his life, right? And because I saw my dad do that, I kind of picked it up. And so all of my life, I always kind of just try to get their little head so I can open the door for people. You know, no matter man or woman or whoever, I just open the door for people. And it's not really a spiritual discipline for me. It's just something I picked up from my dad. And when Kevin was about 11 or 12, we had a group of people we were taking into a restaurant, and I was just about to kind of speed up just a little bit so I could get to the door, and it turns out my 12-year-old son was faster than me, and he got to the door, and he opened it for that whole crowd, right? And all we're doing is going to a meal, and I'm kind of doing this, you know, this flash of my son growing up and being responsible and modeling his life after me. Does it, is it a big spiritual issue if you open the door for people? No, it's not. But when I saw him modeling and wanting to be like his dad, that did so much for my heart. And generosity does that for God. When God says, they get it, they get it. They're doing what I told them to do. They're doing what I have modeled for them by giving my life for them. And, and these outsiders, they, they look at us and they should see our Heavenly Father in the way we live generously. That will make an impression. In, in, in fact, there's a couple things about money that, that we get really wrong in our culture. How many of you heard the expression that, that money, you can't buy happiness with money? Any of you heard that expression? You know that's wrong, right? It is wrong. Here's the catch. Money can make you happy if you deploy it generously. All you got to do is give it away, and that will make you happy. And again, we have learned this over and over for Jody and I for, for giving resources away. Go to one of the very first times we did that, we, I told you last week about a family across the street that was very, very poor, that wasn't going to have Christmas, and we provided Christmas. We gave them the money so that they had Christmas. I still, to this day, and that was a lot of years ago, where I think, and it just, it warms my heart. It, it makes me happy, you know? There's just something about that. When you give to others, it, it has a way of doing it. In fact, I tell people sometimes, you just have to convert the money into the currency of the kingdom, and, and then it, it can make you happy, okay? There's huge satisfaction. There's great blessing. There's deep things that happen in this and and i i just want to encourage you i i know i know i know i know i know regular tithing is boring okay but this this is fun and if you haven't tried it i encourage you to try it. and one of the best things you can do with this is the scripture talks about 
Don't your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Give stuff away and don't tell anybody you did it. I'm telling you, there is so much deep satisfaction in opportunities where Jody and I have been able to bless other people and nobody knows about it except us and them. That satisfies your soul. I can't help tell you enough. In fact, the truth of the matter is, in spiritual terms, everything we hoard turns sour and ultimately is poisonous to us, bitterness and selfishness. But when we give it away, it becomes vibrantly alive and life-giving both for us and for them. It's a powerful upside-down kind of kingdom principle. And then God blesses back into our lives. In fact, I think this is why God talks about God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I read that for so many years and I didn't understand. I thought, what am I supposed to do? Like, make everybody smile when we take the offering? Okay, everybody smile. Grit your teeth and smile. We're going to be cheerful givers today. That's not at all what it's talking about. What it's talking about is when you give like God gives, there's something joyous about that. There's a happiness in that. There's something powerful that, that happens in all of that. And so the question then is how do we get about this? How do we do this? There's so many needs. We live in a world where there's a thousand needs coming at us in all kinds of ways. And I think Bono hit it really, really well when he said this. He said, stop asking God to bless what you are doing. Get involved with what God is doing because it is already blessed. Get involved with what God is doing. You don't have to make something up. No, you don't have to start a new ministry. Just figure out where God is already moving and get involved with this. I had a surfer friend that was a pastor, a pastor, surfer dude, pastor, we called him. Um, and he, he was always making analogies to surfing, which I never understood. Uh, but, but he made one that I think I really got one time. We were kind of having a discussion about, about uh, knowing where to put our energy and our resources and, and how do we get something going so that we can do it. And, and, and he looked at us and he said, hey, you know what I know about, about this in surfing? I said this, only God can make a wave. We just need to learn how to ride it. I had one of those, oh, kind of surfer dude's pretty smart, you know? We just find where God is going on. So let me ask this question. Where are the waves we can ride? Where are the waves you can ride? Practical kinds of steps. And so the first thing I really want to recommend to you is Nazarene Compassionate Ministries. This is our denominational thing. We have it at a local, uh, a regional, a district, or that's the district, the regional, and a national and international. In fact, Nazarene Compassionate Ministries is one of the biggest giving organizations in the United States. You just don't hear about it. Um, and so they, they do all kinds of stuff. And so... Um, this, this is kind of the start at home. So our local Compassionate Ministries is run by Christina Badger. Anybody know, know who Christina Badger is? If you've met her, you will not forget her, okay? She's, she is 220 in a 110 world. <laughs> oh, she's back there. Raise your hand, Christina. She, does, she hates when I do this to her. But if you want to get involved in local Compassionate Ministries, that's the lady to see right, right there. I, I don't know if you know this, but we do free foods. We partner with another church to do free food on Monday because there are people in our community that are hungry happens out in our back lot. It's a cool thing we can do, a place you can get involved. We are involved in feeding the homeless in a couple different ways, and we do some uh, volunteer work with that. We are involved in what's called showers after hours, because you know one of the problems with homeless people being dirty is they don't have any place to clean up. And so we have partnered with the YMCA locally down the hill, who is led by a wonderful Christian man, and we provide showers to the homeless. That, that happens on Sundays. You can see Christine if you want to be involved in that. We, we supply uh, food to people. We're in the back of this, in the back innards of our church. There's a room back there where people have given food or given money for food that we then buy that we have so that we can give to people and, and in all kinds of ways and clothing and all kinds of stuff. Christina can tell you more about it. We help with gas cards. We do all kinds of things. In fact, I want to encourage you 
uh, even better than giving money for the food bank kind of thing, take your kids and go buy some stuff, let the kids pay for it, and let them be a part of it. Teach the next generation through all of this. So um, I, I know I'm running kind of tight on time here, but I really want to share these stories. Here's some stories that come from local Compassionate Ministries. Showers after hours. The very first Sunday, a lady pulled up in a beat-up older Jeep. She asked us if the showers were open. She said her homeless brother would like to shower. The man that walked, that walked in had a, his head down and was dirty. He had rolled up plastic bags with clothes clutched close to his chest. He, we, he took his, we took his temp, offered him a toiletry bag, and walked him to the back. He looked at no one, said nothing. He kept his head down. His long hair covered most of his dirty face. Twenty minutes later, a completely different person came out. His head was up, he was smiling, and physically went to each volunteer, thanking them for letting, us, letting him take a shower. He walked out almost hopping as he walked down the hall. Story number two. While serving hot meals, we ended up with a huge line at the door, and we were quickly running out of food. As we were discussing where to go, go and get something fast from the store, all of a sudden this lady that no one of us knew made her way into the kitchen door with grocery bags in her hand. She asked if we take food donations. We were all a bit perplexed on how she knew to bring food there. Alex quickly thanked her and took the bags. When he dumped them on the counter there, there were supplies that for, uh, for, a tuna, for tuna casseroles. Everyone ate and had seconds. There was enough left over for two people. As we were locking up, a couple came up late. They'd missed the meal. meal. I guess the leftovers were for them. Jesus sent food. It was pretty cool. Can you imagine? They ran out of food, and God provided the exact amount down to the last two people. That's God, folks. Mong was a gang member that would come around just to check things out. He was scary, a scary-looking dude, covered in gang tats. He had a flashy car and always had lots of chains around his neck, including a cross. He would stand in the corner of the room and just watch. After a few weeks, he sat down among the other guests, always on the edge, never had his back to anyone, Greg and I would always try to chat with him, even if to just to say, glad you were here. He thought the volunteers were just there to check, check a box, so he would sit and watch. It was kind of scary because he, we knew he was a gang member. We felt like he would, he would show up just to see if we were going to keep our word and keep coming back. We promised them we'll keep coming back. The Lord had been working on him behind the scenes, though. He started to share with us that he had a little girl and that his wife had died. That's when his life changed. During this time, uh, his best friend and his wife, had, and his best friend's wife, had reached out to him and told him it was time. They wanted him to come to their house and rest and start over. They sent him an open bus ticket that he could use any time. On the day that he decided to take them up on the offer, he pulled us aside and thanked us and told us he was leaving. He allowed us to pray with him, and when we were, all, when we were done and all opened our eyes, he was crying can you imagine a gang member? All of us were crying. Pastor, he hugged us both so hard and thanked us for just being there. He keeps in touch to this day. Compassionate Ministries Fund is down, folks. But I just wanted you to know, when you give to our Compassionate Ministries Fund, that's the kind of stuff it's doing. You can do that nationally and internationally as well through our denomination. It's ministry outside our walls. Some other ways you can do it. Child sponsorship. I know some of you ch sponsor children. It's like 25 bucks a month. And you can make a difference in a child that has nothing, 
nothing. You can also build a relationship with them. Another one is the Salvation Army. Last year we partnered uh, with the Salvation Army uh, as bell ringers, and because of COVID, that's really, really complicated this year. But they, they got two places. They got the two Walmarts that are going to do it. And I said, we want to be a part of that. I said, we want to be a part of that. Yeah, I'm going to go first. Last year I was being treated for cancer, so I couldn't do it. But this year I'm going to be on the very first shift at, at Walmart because it's a great way. The, the Salvation Army spends the money in this community and they feed people, the poor in our community, every single day. So they probably have Jesus going through the Salvation Army every single day, okay? Great way to do that. Send an, uh, an email to me, Craig at generationscommunity.org, and I can get you hooked up with that. I encourage you to sign up. Community food banks, we have them in all of the communities. It's a great place. We have volunteers I know that are involved in our community food banks in here. Um, community engagement, where you involved in some way. We have people in our church that, that are actually volunteering at the roughest school in the Marysville School District, tutoring kids, okay? Making a difference in, in, in people's lives. It's so important. So what this all comes down to is this. Give like God gives. Be like Jesus. Give like, it'll look different for you. You don't have to be involved in all, you can't be involved in all of those things. But when God says something to you, somebody should do something about that. You are somebody. And God is speaking to you because you have something to give in that situation. It doesn't mean you can solve all the problems. You cannot solve all the problems. You cannot change the entire world, but you can change somebody's world. You can make a difference. And I know this for sure because I have walked with the Lord a long time and Jody and I have practiced generosity all of our lives. The truth is this, you cannot outgive God. Cannot outgive God. Now this is not a health and wealth sort of thing, okay? We do not believe that you give to get, right? But we believe that when you are faithful to God, God is faithful to you. And we have tried that. We've had some tough times, but God has always been faithful. Amen? Y'all ready to do intervention giving? Oh, that, that, that was good. Excellent. So for musicians would come. Next week, I just want to warn you, next week, not warn you, <laughs> sorry, John, a uh, really good friend of mine, John Twitchell, will be preaching next week. You'll want to hear him. He's an excellent preacher. And what he's going to do is he's going to talk about how do we leverage our resources to bless the next generation? Okay? How do, how do we leave things behind? How do we do things that, that, that help our children and, and that, that go on afterwards? So get this. God has designed money in such a way, not only can it bring you happiness in this life, it can be used to bring happiness to your children and your grandchildren. And you'll want to be here and, and be a part of that next week. And again, John is a, is a great guy. You're going to really uh, enjoy him. Also, uh, for those of you who may want to get more deeply involved in that, uh, he works for Nazarene Foundation, and he will set up an appointment to meet with you after the church service if you would like. He can help you with the financial part of that uh, to get that going uh, so that you can do that. That's, that's his whole level of expertise. He was a pastor for a long time, and this is just this is where his heart is. This is where it's all about making a difference for him. So uh, be back next week. Uh, let me pray for you, uh, and then we're going to sing a really great uh, old hymn of the church uh, called I, uh, I Surrender All. It's kind of all to Jesus, I surrender. This has been a huge one in my life over the years. And I just, I just want to say, if you're holding on to money, if money's what's keeping you separated from God, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Honestly, God can take care of your family better than you can. And I've tested and I've tried this. All to Jesus, I surrender, even the money. Father God, I pray now that you would bless these good people. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know this church is extraordinarily generous, Father, in so many ways. Thank you for these good people, Lord. 
I pray, though, Father, that you would continue to lay on our hearts the things that you would have us to do with the resources you give us, Father, that we would, we would give to the ongoing work of the church that, that boring kind of disciplined giving, Father. But I pray that you'd help us to even move beyond that and discover the joy, the joy of giving in intervention, of go, giving to the least, the last, the lost, the vulnerable, Father. Give us hearts for the vulnerable like you have a heart for the vulnerable, Father. And we will give you all the praise and glory, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.